Hey, we're at chapter 14, and the title is Stewardship. All right, so what do you do, though, if your name's not Steward? Yeah, now you got your attention. That's right, chapter 14, Stewardship, uh, is the topic we saw. And what we saw, the theme of, at least what I'm getting out of this in this study, is it's not just a financial issue. And isn't that what it is? You hear the word stewardship, and you're always thinking money, 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 money. And that's part of it, but it's only part of it because that's only part of what stewardship really is all about. And that is your life. Stewardship is a matter of your life, okay? It's not just a finance thing, okay? And what we saw there before is it's a matter of your time, your talents, your thumb, okay, and of course, yes, your treasure, and that's basically what makes up the four T's, okay, if you will, uh, of your life, is what your life really revolves around, and that's what it is. Jesus Christ saved us for him, and if we're going to be wise stewards or managers, remember the analogies from last week, that uh, uh, we're just, uh, we don't own the business, we just get to manage the business, okay, which is a privilege, right? We don't call the shots, we get to manage it. It's God's business, right? And it is the issue. Now, let's read again the very first uh, uh, portion of that first chapter on page 153 to set the tone of just how ugly of a statement this is, what we're about to read. It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. I have my rights. It's my money. I'll spend it the way I want to spend it. It's my talent. I'll do what I want with it. It's my money. I can't afford to give to the Lord and still have enough to meet my needs and desires. I want what I want when I want it. Not only do I want when I want what I want, but how many... Pickled pepper, Peter, man, that's a rough one, isn't it, Tom? Try saying that, man. Uh, I want when I want when I want, but I have a right to it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, excuse me? If you were here last week, after we set that, it's kind of funny because that's our mentality today, isn't it? It's about me. It's about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. But when you understand what stewardship really is, that should make you puke to say that many eyes in a row. The fall of Satan, Isaiah 14. I believe there was five eyes there. The five eye wheels of Satan, the classic passage. How many eyes were in that one? And yet that's our attitude. And we think we're being great and strong and mighty Christians because of this or what. How many times throughout the day is it all just about I, me, my? That's not being a wise steward. And what we saw last week, if you were here, what you're actually showing there is not your maturity, but your immaturity. Because a, discipleship, a disciple of Jesus Christ, what's the very first thing he says? If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. It ain't about you. Open your Bibles. I want to share one more passage, and then we'll continue on. 2 Corinthians 5. Just to drill this home, stewardship is about Jesus Christ. It's not about us, okay? He saved us for him, not us. And this whole revolving around I, I, me, I, it's, it's absolutely insane, completely antithetical as to why he went to the cross for us. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you find 3 Corinthians, what do you do? New Bible. Get one without that purple cover. That's the Varney version, apparently. Yeah. You ever seen those Bibles out there? I love you. You love... And this is all nice and fluffy and... Yeah, there's a lot of sermons out there like that, but anyway, but uh, that's right. I've sold enough time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verse 14 and 15. Man, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why do we exist? Why are we still here, Tom? Why have we not been taken to heaven yet? Well, thanks for asking. It works well with this passage, Tom. Uh, for Christ's love, what? Him going to the cross? Dying for us while we were still sinners? While we were ungodly? We were his enemies? Man, that compels you to what? Okay, that's what he says. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. But for who? 
for him who died for them and was raised again. And so again, that's just yet another passage telling us the reason why we're not in heaven yet. The reason why Jesus Christ saved us, not just Ephesians 2.10, as we saw last time, was because he wants us to live for him. Why? Because that's a life worth living for. That's when God could use us in spite of us, myself included, crackpots, and do something for him that will stand for all eternity. Tell me a better life than that. And if you're not convinced of that yet as a Christian, you're worldly. You're carnal. I didn't say that. God did. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Okay, but then we saw what is God's and what is our stewardship involved, page 154. Well, we got as far as stewardship involves the first one, ourselves. And that's that whole issue, isn't it? Of it is life, your life. But is it really your life? No, it's not. We saw last time, it's his life. He bought it more than fair and square, uh, as we saw, and he wants us to deal with that. And we broke it down, and that, we, we demonstrate that by staying away from uh, 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 improper sexual things and that of nature. And, and then also with your life is your tongue, right? We saw the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Pretty massive intense passage. I mean, I mean, I mean, we always got a grip on our tongue, don't we? I mean, we never use our tongue for nefarious purposes and things of that nature. Let's move on. And we saw the heart and mind uh, was another issue that's in there. And then we left there towards the bottom of the page there where it says the bottom line. So what is the bottom line? Well, thanks for asking. The bottom line is being a good steward of ourselves is not to be involved in any attitude or action from which the owner of our body, God, has prohibited us. Why? Because we saw last week, it's his body. It's his temple. And when we quote that passage, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's not talking primarily about food. He's talking about sin, according to the context. Specifically sexual sin. Don't link yourself up with the prostitute. And we saw last week with the analogy with the, 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 the house. It's God's house. Temple, if you will. Can you imagine if you bought an extra house, you lent it out to another Christian to live in, and every single time you went in there, they were doing something horrible. They were shredding your house. They were, doing all, they were having all kinds of uh, sinful activities and things in your house. That's what the Bible says. It's not your body. It's not my body. These eyes are his. These ears are his. This mouth is his. These hands, these feet, hey, it's his. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager. I'm a renter. And I need to take care of it. Now, the other thing, though, is, as we saw before, uh, uh, guess who's always... It isn't just that God's going to, as a landlord, check up on us every six weeks or so. Maybe, if we're lucky. The other back half of that analogy is, who's living in the house with us? The owner of the house. The Spirit of God is inside of us. So, so why is it the bottom line? The bottom, oh, I can't remember all these rules, Pastor Billy. I, I don't remember. How, what's, 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 what's all my life? I, four T's? I only remember two of them. What am I going to do? Well, the bottom line is don't do anything, any attitude, any action, which the God, if you were on his very throne room, you wouldn't want to do. It's like the old phrase, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say it. Keep your mouth shut. And it's not just your words, it's your life. Did you really? God's with us wherever we go. He's inside the house that we're renting with us. And he goes to every room. Yes, John. You can't see the T's, that's exciting. That would be time, talents, tongue, and treasure. And the silence was deadly. That's right. But anyway, that's time, talents, tongue, and treasure. Give it up for John. He's helping us out tonight as a wise steward of the body of Christ.
Golf clap, please. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I tell you what, that's right. But God is watching us wherever we go because he's inside the house. Okay, isn't that wild? Can you imagine if Jesus hung out with you for one day, 24 hours a day? I mean, he was literally right by your side. Probably change a little bit our behavior, wouldn't it? The Bible said he is. He is. That's the convenient truth we conveniently forget. Dare I say to our detriment. Okay, that's a great reminder. Now, stewardship of our gifts is the next one. Stewardship of our gifts. Peter states in his first epistle, uh, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in the service of yourself. Because it's all about I, I. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, let me read again. It's my life, I'll do what I want with it. It's my righteousness, my blah, 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 blah. So when you get saved, God keeps you here on earth. He gives you supernatural gifts so they can just sit around and collect dust. It's awesome. Or just optional. You know, maybe if it's raining, you know, too much and you can't do the yard work and all that other stuff and you know, maybe you'll help, maybe. No? Uh, in one another. The context is the church. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were, the utterance of God. Whoever serves, let him do so uh, as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. It's not about you. Oh, I'm so wonderful. I'm such a faithful servant of God. You can't live without me. Yeah, we can. We can live without your pride. Okay? It's for the glory of God through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it, in other words. Okay? This makes it clear that each Christian has one or more spiritual gifts. Is your blank there. Spiritual gifts. Okay? It's also clear that these gifts are given to each individual, quote, to employ in serving one another. They are not private gifts to be used for personal edification. Can I translate that for you? You guys ever hear this one out there? Well, the reason why I don't go to church services is because... I worship God in nature. Right? You have to do that British accent again to be effective. How many, how many guys heard that? I worship God in nature. I don't need that. Huh? Excuse me? The word church, we're going to get to that, Lord willing, in the final chapter, okay, is ecclesia. And it means a group of called out ones. The church is not this building, it's you and I, it's the people. Okay, number one. And we gather together. Why do we gather together? Because God has given every single one of us a supernatural gift, at least one, so that other people in the church can be benefited from it. So that when we get together, we leave this place stronger, better, better equipped, uh, more effective for Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, you can't do that in nature. God did not give you the gift of teaching for squirrels. Right? It's met within the context of the church. But how can the church benefit from your gift? It's not your gift anyway. God gave it to you to use as a steward for the benefit of other people. How can that take place if you're never around the church? Open your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I think it's a little bit behind of what, what uh, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews. Tom, you like that book? It's awesome, isn't it though? And that's why Holly, he makes the coffee every morning, isn't it? You knew that was coming. Hebrews. He, Tom Bruce. Tom Bruce, the coffee king. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, verse 19 is the context there. Uh, here's what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. Do you get that? We can approach the throne of God. The infinite, holy, righteous God. We can go direct to him. Isn't that awesome? 
Okay, since we can do that by a new and living way open for us through the, uh, the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for. He who promised, praise God, is faithful. And let us consider how many times we could avoid the church and go out in nature and look at the stars and demonstrate our spirituality. No, what does he say? To spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up in meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another. Why? Because all the more you see the day approaching. Don't you realize before Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to get worse? Don't you realize as bad as things are today, if the Lord should tarry and we're still here, we're going to sit there and we're going to look back and go, man, remember how easy it was in 2012? Remember how good the economy was back in 2012? Read the Bible. It's going to get horrid before it gets better. And so as we know it's going to get worse, hey, have you realized this yet? Where's your source of encouragement going to come from, Christian? Certainly God, the Bible, prayer. But guess what? What's another one that God's throwing in there? The church. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool, John? You get to spend all eternity with me. Hey, man, I was expecting a tear or something, but anyway, that's right. But, anyway, but uh, no, all right, and that's the benefit. Come on, when we hang out together, it's supposed to be anyway, supposed to be edification. That's why he's given you the gift, okay? It's not just about finances. He wants you to get busy using the supernatural gift so that the church can become stronger and better. You know, the thing that we pray for, to make an impact in Las Vegas, around the world, that happens when we're consistent and we're all coming together, given of our lives these lives belong to him in service to other people okay let's continue on although ministering to the body of christ even though it's not private and personal he says on the previous page by using your gift may result in personal edification it is cool i don't know about you but man i'll tell you what there's nothing cooler than leading somebody to jesus christ you ever been there leading somebody to jesus christ and then literally you could feel man you don't see the angels but man something's going on in that room I mean, I've been just weeping with tears. I've had that a couple times with uh, ladies on their deathbeds. And it was like, man, you're cutting it close. One of them was my grandmother. Another was the lady that was infirm, dying of cancer. And, uh, just, uh, and both of them just absolutely not until the very end. And then right there leading them to cry. And it was just like, man, we were all weeping. Nothing cooler than that. And so you can get that, okay? But uh, what would happen? Okay, let's talk about this getting together as Christians. What would happen? Use another analogy. We talked about the building and it's God's building and this is his life and all that stuff, etc. right? But let's talk at the context of the church. We need each other. When we come together, every one of us is valuable. Did you realize that? Turn to somebody and say, you're valuable, man. Right on. So if nobody was there, you can practice with the pew, but don't get too serious about it. That's kind of creeping me out. But, uh, but no, uh, yeah, we are. That's what God says. We just have different functions. But I'll guarantee you every single one is important. See, sometimes people like, you know, the preacher or uh, the person singing and doing the solo in the choir or something like, you know, they get all the attention. Really? Paul used the body analogy, okay? Hey, you'll find out real fast how that uh, thing you never see very much, you know, the big toe or the little toe. Until you smash that baby, huh? How was your body function after that one? Right? Yeah. And that's what he talks about. Everybody's got different gifts. Some play this, some do this, whatever. And we'll get to that in a second, Lord willing. But it's all important. We're all important. We all serve differently. I serve with the gift of teaching and pastoral ministry. That's what he gifted me with. 
So that's what he's called me to do. So by his grace and his spirit, hopefully and prayerfully, that's what I do. Right? And he's gifted every single one of us. That's what you do. I like what one guy said, he, and he did this to a church. He went up to him, he got down, and he started asking people. He says, hey, and he started going down the line. He said, uh, you Christian? Yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. You go, you go to church, this your church? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. What's your ministry here? What are you doing? He goes, oh, oh, oh. go down the line. What's your, what's your, what do you do? I, uh, I, uh, I. He said, I shouldn't, if every single one of you Christians, I should never have to even ask you. You should immediately go, oh, yes, I'm helping this, and God's called me this. I have the gift of this. I'm using it here, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's for the benefit of the church. But let me give you that analogy. Okay, what would happen? Your church is a body, the body of Christ, right? What would happen if just, it was a completely random occurrence every single day when you got out of bed, you weren't sure which body part was actually going to be there. You wake up one day, oh no, the alarm, body, I missed the alarm, I got to get going. You know, because your legs weren't there. Not again, not today, I need my legs. Right? right, You wake up another day, that ruins your day. I mean, you finally got to work, but boy, that was a rough one. Right? Right? You get there and and then you wake up another day, you get out of bed, at least the legs showed up today. Right? So you get out there and you finally get out there and you get in your car to grab the steering wheel. Where's my arms? My arms! My arms didn't show! So if you're a guy like me and John and Pastor Jim, you're going to figure out a way. So you drive to work with the steering wheel. I'll get there, right? But then watch a very productive day because you didn't have any arms. Right? And it's cool. You finally get home, you relax, and you wake up the next day, and you had your arms, had your legs, and all that neat stuff. And, and then finally, and, you know, uh, uh, Tom, he's knocking the door. Pastor Billy, you won't believe this. Get out of here. You've got to see this amazing sunset that God's given me. Uh, he's given us to see. It's awesome. So I get out there, and I, 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 my eyes, Tom, I can't see. My eyes didn't show up today. My ears, my what? Do you, you see where I'm going with this? We act like getting together as Christians is optional, and you don't realize that every time that happens, that's what's happening to the body of Christ. The arm didn't show up, the foot didn't show up. Yeah, well, preacher's got to be the mouth. He shows up. Hey, what good is the preacher's mouth if the legs don't show up or the arms don't show up? We're a team, we're a body, we all got to come. And you could get so much more done if all the body parts are there. That's what he's talking about there. We need to be wise steward. It doesn't just affect you and you miss out on being a benefit to the body of Christ with the supernatural gifts that God's given you. The body suffers because you're not around. You're not around. When we speak of spiritual gifts, we speak of extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ. The reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. These gifts are sovereignly given. Is your blank there? Each one receiving that gift which God chooses him to receive. It's also important to remember that spiritual gifts bestowed in grace are entirely undeserved. And because you're so wonderful... It's purely an act by God, and their power and operation is due to God alone. So just like with the building, the temple that is owned by God, right? We're just renters. When it comes even to the gifts, these aren't, they're not mine. It's not my gift of teaching. It's God's. That's just the employment, if you will, the service that he's called this life, that he's he give me the, the, to equip other people with. 
And on and on it goes, whatever yours is, okay? And he says it's undeserved, it's operation is due to God alone. Because their bestowal is sovereign, it follows that it is not a question of spirituality. This should be clear from our previous study, The Spirit-Filled Life. In addition, uh, to study the book of 1 Corinthians makes it clear that anyone that, someone, uh, that anyone that someone can possess many spiritual gifts and yet be carnal. Is your blank there? Carnal. In other words, you can have gifts up the, the storm. But if you're gone, what a waste. Right? Can you imagine if a guy, it's football season, you've got to throw in at least one analogy of football. Gifted, absolutely awesome quarterback. I mean, this guy was the, he put uh, all the quarterbacks to shame, right? Peyton Manning, Schmanny, right? Stafford, Schmafford. I didn't say that, John. It just works, you know what I'm saying, right? Brady, Schmady. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> but the guy never showed. Had all this skill, all this talent. In fact, we read reports about that, don't we? Amazing athletes, and they don't show, or they get involved in drugs, or they get drunk and drive, and it ruins it. It's like, why did you do that? You're so gifted. You're so talented. You're so needed on the team. And you wasted it and squandered it away. It's the same thing in the church. Spiritual gifts are not talents, although we should be good managers of our talents as well, uh, and they should be used in a way that's glorified. Now, very quickly, how do we know? I think we talked about this way in the beginning of this uh, book. Uh, how do you recognize uh, your gift? Well, three things that works for me anyway. Uh, some of them, I believe, are self-evident. Okay, that's just pretty much out of the gauge. You realize that, whoa, that's pretty amazing. One of the other gifts that I believe that God's given me is the gift of encouragement. Okay, and that thing was definitely not there before. Uh, and uh, it was just, I, I didn't know squat of the Bible. Brand new spanking Christian. I don't even think I was in Bible college yet, eight weeks after I got saved. And uh, I, man, I'm just encouraging up a storm. I'm just thinking about, but God, you know, just the faith, and you're just, it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? People going through hard, hey, it's going to work. Let's pray about it. God can do it. That was not there before, believe you me. So some of your gifts are just bang, right out of the gates. It's pretty obvious, right? The second thing is, I call it, it's, you get, you gotta, it's, it's kind of a trial. You got to try. You got to get out of the gates. How do you know until you try? Sometimes you don't figure it out until you're put in that situation. I never knew I had the gift of teaching. I kid you not. Until guess what? I was thrust into that position. Nervous as all get out. Scared to death. But man, I'll tell you what. Once I went to that first study and submitted to it, man, I could whip out outlines. And it's like, what? Where did this come from? That was not there before. Believe you me. And so I didn't know until I tried it out. How do you know what your gift is until you try to do something? And I'm sorry to burst you guys' bubble. But pew sitting is not a gift. <laughs> Come on, don't take it personal. You got to do something. Try something. Now, granted, it always seems that it doesn't matter what church it is. It ain't just sunrise. Every church I've been a part of, nobody has the gift of nursery. I, I don't know. I haven't figured that one out. But, <laughs> so, but, but just try. How do you know? It could be the gift of helps. That's a gift. Need some help. Try. You don't know. You might like it, right? But how do you know what your gift is until you try? Now, the third one is sometimes uh, they need to be honed, okay? You get a gift, but that doesn't mean you're ready to go. Okay, I got the gift of teaching at the moment of salvation. So 14 days later, I was a pastor for church. No. <laughs> that particular gift needs to be honed and built and skilled upon and grown. And, tri- and that's exactly what God did. And that particular gift, dare I say, you never stop learning. Okay, as Paul told Timothy, always be teachable. All right, let's continue on. The list of spiritual gifts are given in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to take a look at the list there. 
And there's a, Walver indicates 16 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. Of these gifts, he lists nine that are exhibited and gifted men in the present dispensation or age, the church age. He states, there's little doubt that some men today have the gift of teaching, the gift of helping and ministering, the gift of administration or ruling, the gift of evangelism, the gift of being a pastor, uh, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of showing mercy, and the gift of faith. Everybody has a gift. Okay, there's much difference of opinion among members of the body of Christ on the remaining gifts, which are more miraculous nature. The word of God does not define many of them uh, uh, anywhere. Uh, uh, and so there has been some speculation on uh, how they were manifested. And uh, one thing is sure, historically, they've all but disappeared from the early church uh, shortly after the first century. God is certainly capable of giving these sign gifts in our day, but he seems to have chosen not to do so at this point. Now, the absence of these miraculous sign gifts, and we're talking about gifts and, uh, of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, things of that nature is what he's talking about. Okay, and uh, he says now, uh, uh, it could be tied to the purpose of God for them. Okay, the best explanation of the passing of certain gifts and their manifestation is found in the evidence purpose of God in the apostolic age. During the lifetime of the apostles, it pleased God to perform many notable miracles, and in some cases, quite apart from the question of whether the benefit was deserved. A period of miracles is always a time when special testimony is needed to the authenticity of God's prophets, okay? Let me give you a case and example, because people say, well, if it was good for then, it's good for today. Not necessarily read your Bible. Well, if God did it before, you can do it today. Not necessarily to read for your Bible. Some things that God does only for a certain time frame for a certain purpose. And that's what he's talking about here with certain of the sign gifts. Let me give you a couple examples. Moses. How many guys you fully expect next time you're like me, I ain't got time to drive around. Gas is too expensive. And so you're going to go find a stick. You're going to part the waters and walk right through. If I had faith, I would. Well, praise God for your faith, Robert. That's awesome. I appreciate that. But typically, that's not something that's going to happen today. But Moses did it. Moses did all kinds of things. But they're not happening today. So how can you say, if it was good for then, it's good for today. If it always happened then, it's going to happen. No. We don't part waters today. God certainly could, but that's not some gift that every single, every single time you do it, it's going to happen. Don't see it. Why did God give it? That's what he's saying. Because you put yourself in the Moses' shoes and the Israelites' shoes. Moses is already freaked out. God, how are they going to believe me? Are you kidding me? I'm going to show up and say, hey, God, you said me, I'm going to lead you out. And the estimates are 2 million people with the livestock and everything else. That's a lot. How would you like to lead Las Vegas out into the desert? That's what Moses did. So he shows up out of the blue. Hey, follow me. Jehovah's called us out of slavery, out of slavery, out of sin, you know, Las Vegas. What are the people, they think, this guy's whacked, he's nuts. So how is the people going to listen to him? Why should they listen to him? God confirms with miracles. The prophet, Moses. And he does, soup, God gives him supernatural things for that time frame to validate his message so that the people would realize he is in fact a messenger from God. Listen to him, Right? But then it was over. We don't see it today. Let me give you one more example, and we'll move on. Uh, how about the, the prophets? The prophets in the Bible, they did the same thing. Hey, they had a harsh message to Israel who had gone astray. And a lot of the prophets they want, they'd wanted, and, and they killed them. They didn't want to hear that message. They didn't want to hear that they'd gone into sin, that they'd lost their first love for God, and that, that they'd gone into idolatry and abomination and blasphemous things. They didn't want to hear that. 
They just want to be told that everything's great and life is good and the economy's awesome and you're a wonderful person. Good thing we don't see that today happening in pulpits. Let's move on. No, let's finish the analogy. And so the people didn't like it. So here they come with this absolutely foreign message because all kinds of false prophets were around them, right? Who were telling them nothing but the fluffies. Yeah, you're awesome. Yeah, you're all you're gonna win every single war, man. God's with you, he's on your side. He's gonna prosper. He's gonna whoop up on you. And here comes the lone prophet. Uh uh-uh. uh, thus saith the Lord, you guys are doomed unless you repent. You have sinned against God. So what does he do? He gives them miraculous signs. So the people realize those are false prophets, and you better listen to this guy, because he's the one who's really got the word for me. Right? So let's take a look at one, just a couple of them. Elijah. And of course, Elijah. Right? But remember that uh, there where he makes the, the axe head float? You know what? Remember that account? Now, how many guys think it would be really cool? The youth could always use some cash for camp and different fundraisers. Wouldn't it be cool if we went to every single uh, golf course around Las Vegas and we exercised the same gift because it was good for them, it's good for today's so, uh, and, and we made all the golf balls that we know are in those ponds, float to the surface, we'll skim them off, sell them a buck a piece at a garage sale, we'll make some cash. Now, we don't expect to ever do that. It's like, I mean, he made an axe head float, why can't that? Well, because that was for him. Let me give you another one. He made the oil in the jar of the widow, remember that? Not go dry. Every time he kept going, it was still, I don't know about you guys, but wouldn't that be a cool gift to have right now for your gas tank in your car? Why aren't we doing it? How come? I mean, if it's good for them, it's good for them. Do you see my point? God gives certain gifts for a certain time frame to validate the message. Once the message and the man is validated, it's no longer needed, right? And that's just, it just simply, I think it's simplistic. Like I say, that's what he's talking about here, okay? And uh, there's much differences. That's pretty much what it is. And since the authenticity of God's prophets can now be tested by the objective truth in the revealed word of God, the sign gifts are not needed for that purpose. To be a good steward of the spiritual gifts God has given us, we must first know what they are. Now, there's some spiritual gift tests that are available, but most of our little value if you've not been a Christian very long. This is because your gifts usually naturally surface when you are living all by yourself, worshiping God in nature, living that life that says something akin to this. Oh, it's my life. I'll do what I want with it. It's my right. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's when you are living an obedient, spirit-filled life. Okay? You're doing what God's called you to do, and he says, hey, here you go. Serve me with this. Right? The best way to determine your spiritual gifts is to, that's that word meditate, but supplant that with chew on. Chew on the above passages. Pray that God would reveal your gifts. Hello, if anybody wants you to know what gift he's given you with to serve him with, don't you think it's God? I call those the no-brainer prayers, right? You know God's going to answer that. He answers everything, yes, no, or not now, okay? Just the not now that kind of drives us up a wall, doesn't it? Okay, we need to learn patience. We need to wait on God. Okay, but that's what it is. And you, you chew on the passages, pray that God would reveal your gift to you. He will. And continue to live out an obedient, spirit-filled life. Okay, your gifts will surface and you'll be able to discern what they are. And it would be helpful to consult other Christian friends and your family since they may observe your gifts before you can discern it. You ever have that happen? Sometimes they can see what you cannot see. I mean, you're just doing it, right? I was wouldn't have set up a storm. I didn't even know what the word witness was. I didn't learn that Christianese word yet. I was just telling people about Jesus. Somebody came, hey, what do you got? Is it a gift of evangelism? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> right? 
You're just busy doing it. Other people can see it, okay? And when you, that's why he says, when you're living an obedient, spirit-filled life, oftentimes it becomes manifest, okay? Not a disobedient one. When you know what your spiritual gift is, diligently employ it in the service of one another. And finally, the stewardship of our possessions. Our possessions. There are probably few areas of the Christian life where we Christians tend to conform to the world, not God, more than the way we handle, is your blank there, our possessions. Matthew 16, 19 through 21 states, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we are not to make the same mistake the world does by seeking to lay up our treasures here on earth, which reflects a temporal or temporary as opposed to an eternal perspective, we need to have our focus right. As mentioned earlier, the focus of a Christian stewardship is, quote, the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. The way we manage our possessions is many times an incredible barometer of our spirituality. Larry Burkett, I love this phrase. He says, you can tell more about the spiritual lives of a young couple by looking at their checkbook than by anything else. Mm. The Lord is concerned about how we manage our finances. I love this. Listen to these stats. And it's obvious in the emphasis in just the New Testament. John MacArthur states, 16 out of 38 of Christ's parables deal with what? Almost half of the parables mentioned in the scripture is about money. More is said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. Five times more is said about money than prayer. And while there are 500 plus verses on both prayer and faith, there are 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. Why? Well, because believe it or not, that's part of your life. And, and how do we serve God? How does his kingdom grow and advance and we get the word of God out and we grow stronger in our walk with Jesus Christ? Yeah, it's with your time when you invest that. Yeah, it is with your talents and, and gifts and things. Like that. Yeah, it is with your mouth. But you know what? Hey, anybody enjoy the facilities here tonight? Anybody enjoy having, having, having staff on hand that's uh, ready for you 24-7 pretty much? You enjoy having the studies? You enjoy having these books? You enjoy the liberty of being able to use the technology to share this all across the world? Do you enjoy that stuff? <sighs> Joyce, I'm so glad that all the resources for that I found in a hole over there in the gravel. <laughs> Tell you what, endless supply. Where's it come from? It comes from when we church work together. We invest for the things of God. And so it's not just for, it is for that, but we're going to see, flip it around. If you don't got your money straight with an eternal perspective, it could lead to absolute torment here on earth. Here's the warning that Paul says, the danger of the desire to gain great material wealth are described by Paul as he writes to Timothy. He writes, but those who want to get rich fall into what? Temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge man into ruin and destruction. For money is the root of all evil. It's one of the biggest misquotes out there. No, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Still wrong. Money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds or all sorts of evils. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The fact is, the love of money is man striving to find his security. You ever think about this? Security is your blank there. 
The fact is the love of money is man striving to find his security in something other than God. That's going to lead to some serious heartache. If we seek God first, he's promised to meet all of our needs, right? Hey, don't worry about your life, Matthew 6. That's what he's mentioning there. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Isn't your life more important than these? Look at the birds of the air. We've used this analogy before. How many times when you guys get up and your eyes are there, your arms are there, and your feet are there, praise God, I can get to work today. And you go outside and you hear those birds, right, in the tree. And how many times, I mean, it's got to be every day. You get out there and you can hear them in the the trees there. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to get down for today. I just don't know. Bob, you know, I don't know. That's Chuck. He he just came in. He he doesn't have anything, Chuck. Chuck, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Has anybody heard the birds near your house have that conversation? Praise God, nobody has. But you know where I'm going. The birds, they don't store away in barns, right? The scripture says, Matthew 6. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. They're not getting up all bogged down with worry. Oh, where's my next meal? That's what he's saying there. God provides. He uses the flowers of the field. Look at the flowers of the field. Listen, that's just flowers. Flowers. Which back then, when they dry out, they use them for fuel, you know, to bake bread and stuff like that. So that's what's going on. He says, here today, tomorrow, throw in the fire. Flowers. I'll tell you what, Solomon, the wisest, richest man who ever lived, nothing compared to how God takes care of these. Especially, man, if you get into intelligent design, you take a look at what's going on there, blows away computers, I'll tell you what. If God takes care of the birds and they're not freaking out every day when you get up, next time you hear a bird chirp, it should remind you of Matthew chapter 6 and God's faithfulness. You don't need to worry. If they're not freaking out, I don't need to freak out either. That's what the passage is saying. Gosh, I got to share this. Uh, This actually happened. It was a a guy in her Bible study, Miss Bible study in Sacramento, right? He was always scraping. His name was Paul. Always seemed to be scraping by. He had a house. It was an unfortunate situation. He had uh, two boys and his uh, wife had left him and, and things of that nature. And he's trying his best to maintain the house and take care of the boys and work full time and all that stuff and always doing his best. And he was always short on stuff, right? And so he'd always, he'd be going through roommates like you wouldn't believe, you know, and they'd always seem to flake on him. And he's like, okay, I can make it this month. This, I, this guy's promised me to give me 200 bucks a month in rent, blah, blah, blah. And because he had this house with like three or four bedrooms, or whatever. Anyway, it's just, and he, but he's always, man, short on money. The roommates wouldn't pay. They'd flake out on them. They'd use them and, you know, stuff like that, whatever. And he, he, he was a very godly guy. And he, he, he would uh, get up in his morning routine, read the Bible and pray. And right outside his window was this telephone pole. And he was telling us that this at a one Bible study. And at the telephone pole, it was just, he just starting to get to, because he, he would be spending time with God because he's got to get some peace. He's, he's you know, all, oh, uh, he just start to get, enjoy the peace of God, just kind of chewing on God, thinking about God, praying to God, and reading the word, you know, and all of a sudden, mm, 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 he's, and he go back to it, you know, trying to act like he's ignoring it. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. It's mm, mm, mm. And this went on. He said, damn, James got so sick of stupid bird every, every single time. And, you know, his house was chaotic with two boys and a roommate. So he he's finally gets some private time with God. He's really soaking it up, right? And, and finally he said, <laughs> looked up his window and that woodpecker's going, would you shut up, you stupid bird? And right then, the Lord brought to his remembrance, Matthew 6, birds of the air. They're not worried, Paul, where their food's coming from. Even if he can't find a worm there on that tree pole, he'll go somewhere else and get some because God's always faithful. 
And then the next day, you know what? When he got up, you know what happened to that bird? It was still there. But Paul in his mind was saying, now, thank you, God, for that woodpecker that pecks in my brain every day. You just seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. All these things be added unto you. Isn't that cool? God gives such good lessons. Let's continue on. And so that's what he's talking about there. Uh, uh, Wayne Watson, his book, Gift of Giving, uh, lists several principles that will help us be good stewards of our possessions. They include plan to be rich in heaven, give to those who minister to you, plan for a short life, make Christ Lord of all, plan ahead to give, give to your church, invest in people, let God lead, and he also gives some helpful decisions in making decisions on giving uh, to a ministry outside your church. And they include, are they communicating a message to the, uh, the scriptures? Are the people uh, responding positively to the message? Are the lives of the organization leaders an illustration of the message of Scripture? And is the organization or church re- uh, reproducing itself? And five, is there a standard of excellence along with the freedom from waste? This is what blows me away with the word of faith, false teachers out there. Sell me, she give me a hundred dollars. God will bless you a hundredfold if you so. If you if you call right now, I will send you a letter. You can put it on the ground. It's a paper prayer cloth. My sweat has dripped on that prayer cloth. And if you pray for the next seven days, seven days in a row, seven times a day, God will bless you with ten thousand dollars if you send me a grand right now today. I am so stinking blown away that even after almost 20 years now being saved, these guys are still prospering. It's like, are you kidding me? Here's the point. You know why they're prospering? Because the church is still sending those hucksters their cash. That's what he's talking about. Hey, listen, you're not only supposed to give. God maybe wants you to give outside your church first, and then if he leads you to something else, make sure it's a good one. How in the world could they? These guys should be dried up long ago selling peaches or Repairing tire, doing something honest, right? Don't support a rotten ministry. One common fallacy, and that's your blank there, in Christian thinking is that our responsibility to be good stewards of our possessions, whether material or monetary, is fulfilled if we give a certain percentage to our church every week. This is what we dealt with last week, guys. We need to remember that since God owns it all, every use of our finance is a spiritual decision, right? And that's what he says. He says we should try to maintain a budget, is your blank there, a budget to make sure that we are being wise stewards of the finances God has given us. Some excellent books have been written in recent years on the subject, and you can see that in the suggested reading section. We should also seek opportunities to allow our possessions to be used for God's glory, whether it's a house, land, or act. Eat that cow, Ruth, is what I came up with. Uh, or act, okay? Maybe God would want you to have a Bible uh, study at your house. Maybe God would want you to take some money in to your house. Because after all, it's, it's oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we had a line. It's my house, it's my life, it's what I'll do what I want. It's my... No, if you have a house, God gave you that ability. You got a place to live? That's from God. Got a car to drive? That's his too. It's all his. Maybe he wants to use that too for his glory and honor. Right? Okay? And that's what he says there. He's talking about, we have been given incredible responsibility as stewards of God's possessions. When the Lord returns, may we be found faithful in the stewardship he has entrusted to us. And let's close with this passage. Puts it all to me in context. I would love to make this announcement on a Sunday morning. Uh, Turn your Bibles to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. Verses 1, well, we'll just read the context there. Exodus chapter 6. 
uh, excuse me, 36, Exodus 36. As we close. Alrighty. How many of you guys are going to name your next cat? One of these two cool names. Huh? This would be cool. This is a conversation starter. Right? See? John's getting choked up already about it. Uh, so, a Bezalel and a Holiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of the construction of the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. So, who gave them the skills and the ability? God. And they were supernatural. If you read the whole context of what's going on there. Akin to what happens when we get saved. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come to do the work. Notice it wasn't because you had to. You were willing. You wanted to. You were thankful for what Jehovah had done. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And listen to this. The people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were uh, doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work. They had to stop. And they said to Moses, Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people listened to the word. They were restrained. They were forced. They were restrained from bringing more because they already had, what they had was more than enough for the work. I would love to make an announcement this Sunday. Would you please stop giving? We can't take it anymore. We already went from these nifty critters here uh, to the, the, the 50-gallon containers that we had trash in. Then we went to those big rolling ones, but they kind of stunk, but we got it cleaned up. And they're still, would you, could you please take at least a good two weeks off from giving? Stop! No, but Pastor Billy, we just got to give. Look, I have to restrain you. Stop! I'm going to have the deacons up here, and if you dare pull out your wallet, Al's going to tackle you. Now, he was a, he's a Navy SEAL. He may not look like it. He'll whoop up on you, right? All right, I'll tell you what. If, if I get one more volunteer for nursery, guys, you, I, I don't even have time for sermon preparation. I had 500 of you show up to my office in one day saying, I've got to help out with nursery. i got to. Listen, we've already got five string of people. For every single station. Would you stop giving your time? Please, go serve another church. Stay here, but go serve another church. Get involved in the community. Thank you, but but Pastor Billy, we got to, we have to help. We have to help. Don't make me get out up here. That's what he's saying there. Moses actually had, notice it's a free will offering. They didn't have, they wanted to. They were thankful. And he actually had to put out an order, don't make me call out. Can you imagine if that's how we operated here? Can you imagine the impact overnight we can make to all of Las Vegas, let alone around the world. Wouldn't that be cool? It happens when we understand the true meaning of stewardship. It's these lives, every bit of it. Amen? Let's pray.
Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life 
Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God. You have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.